Welcome to the Entrepreneur's Visiting Victor podcast with Victor Dadaj, where you'll hear stories and strategies to help increase your sales and grow your business. Here's your host, Victor Dadaj. All right, welcome to Entrepreneur's Visiting Victor. I'm your host, Victor Dadaj. I hope you're having an amazing day so far. Today, we we have an awesome guest. He was born in Nazi-occupied Holland at the beginning of the Second World War. And from the time he could talk, his days often consisted of foraging for food with his burdened sister. His mom was left to raise the three kids alone with his father was drafted into the Dutch army. They wouldn't know if he was alive until the liberation of the village by Canadian soldiers on the 12th of April, 1945. And this is the moment he determined he would make his life in Canada, the land of his heroes. He was five years old at the time. Um, and in 1975, he... His dream of owning a sawmill came to fruition, and it led to the creation of Brink Forest Products, which has since become North America's leading secondary manufacturer of value-added wood products. And in '83, he continues to uh, succeed in his role as president and CEO of the Brink Group of Companies and 10-plus other companies. He is the author of three books and the host of On the Brink podcast series. He is also a fierce advocate for erasing the stigma surrounding ADHD, something he has lived with his entire life. So let's welcome John Brink. How are you doing today, John? Not too bad, Victor. I'm doing very, very good. Awesome. It's great to have you on the show. And I'd like to get started by asking you to share your story, you know, about how you wanted to become an entrepreneur. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, as you already indicated uh, in your intro, is uh, I was born November the 1st, 1940. So that makes me about 83 right now. Uh, I'm in my 84th year this year. So, but I'm 83 right at this moment, and uh, then uh, the war ended uh, in, uh, when I was five in 1945, and then even then, I was not very good in school, uh, it was a bit of a disaster actually, I failed grade three and I failed grade seven three times, and and so, but in the meantime, even when I was already in grade three, from the time that I was seven, eight, nine years old, I already was entrepreneurial. I uh, would go collect paper, bottles, anything that I could sell. And I always had money and, uh, you know, and, and, and always kind of looked for things that, uh, uh, you know, distributing magazines and I would get a fee for that and uh, so uh, I already started being an entrepreneur in early life. In fact, I wrote a book about my life against all odds and I described one of the transactions I had in there where I found this old single plow, uh, single shear plow and it was all rusted and I thought, hmm, so I don't know how I did it at an old baby carriage, and I somehow packed this thing down to a shop where they gave me five goldens for it. That's about $2. And uh, I thought it was a good transaction. The following day, actually, what happened is uh, uh, my mom answered the door, and there was the police. And uh, they said, uh, okay, uh, is does Jan, li- Jan was my J-A-N, they call me John now. Is Jan here? And yes, and my mom is here. And she said, we need to talk to him. And they already had talked to her before, I'm sure, looking back. And, it, and so I came to the door and he, they said to me, uh, so Jan, did you take a 
plow and you sold it? I said, yes, I did. And I said, I got five goldens for it. And, and they said, well, it was not your plow. You know, you, you're not allowed to do that. And, and I said, well, I didn't know that they didn't need it. And it was all rusted in. So already then I was an entrepreneur, but I hadn't quite figured out uh, all the steps along the way. So, but they all got a charge out of it. So from that point forward, I always had a touch of entrepreneurship. Uh, at a very early age, I was uh, 13. Uh, I was no longer successful in school. They kind of figured they should maybe take me to the mentally challenged school. Fortunately, they didn't do that. And then he said, well, maybe you should learn a trade. And they sent me to a furniture factory and I became a furniture maker. And I loved wood and everything around wood. And my grandfather was a master carpenter. My dad managed a small lumber company, not his own. But, uh, you know, so I started developing the feeling for entrepreneurship. And then lumber and wood was always attractive to me. And then when I was about 17, I wanted to go to the land of my heroes, Canada. And then... The dream that I had is start my own lumber mill. And they, my parents wouldn't let me. And so, uh, <laughs> so, and then I was drafted into the Dutch, drafted then uh, Air Force for two years. And then when I came out, I worked for another company, for a uh, lumber company for a couple of years. And then I finally applied for immigration status in Canada. And I left Holland. For Canada, but I wanted to start with nothing. So I had a suitcase, three books, two sets of clothes, 150 Canadian dollars when I left. Couldn't speak the language, didn't know soul, didn't have a job. And I flew into Montreal, took the train across Canada, came to Vancouver, went to the immigration office there. I couldn't speak English, so but fortunately there was a German fellow there. Talked to him, told him what I wanted to do, build my own lumber mill. And he said, Prince George, British Columbia. Now, for our guests listening to us, uh, uh, British Columbia, beautiful province, lots of timber and lots of forest. And uh, Prince George is about 800, uh, 500 kilometers, uh, 500 miles north of Vancouver. It's in the center of the province. For our Europeans that are watching here, uh, 500 miles is 800 kilometers. Big, big province. So I started there as a cleaner man. By the time I got off the bus here, 14, 14 hour ride, and I looked at my bag, my my suitcase, three books, two sets of clothes, and, and I counted my money at least three times. And I had exactly $25.74.47. And but what I had plenty of is attitude. I'm always an optimist. And uh, no matter what happens today, I always think tomorrow is better. Passion, I always give it 150%. Work ethic, uh, you know, I work harder than anybody. So, and what will follow then is success. So started as a cleanup man for a, a lumber company here uh, within uh, a year and a little bit. I was already a superintendent of one of the larger mills here. That didn't go fast enough for me. Then I want to of all places, Watson Lake in the Yukon Territory. Again, for the benefit of our guest, that is about a thousand miles north of uh, Vancouver uh, or 1600 kilometers. Uh, 
and right next to Alaska. Now, for the fella coming out of uh, Holland, uh, you know, Watson Lake is a kind of a place that is a long, long winter. It snows in July. You don't know if it's late or early. And uh, I've seen it 62 below there, zero. But very quickly there, I already, now I was only here for two and a half years. I already had a, a part of a share in a small little sawmill. I bought a, a, a motel that I was staying in and then gave it all away for a dollar after about three or four or five years, actually, that I was there. Long story, it's all in my book. And then I started all over again and started to build a company that for, was formed then 50 years ago uh, called Brink Force Products that then developed into the Brink group of companies that are about 10 different companies, uh, but the silos are, one is a lumber company, the other one is warehousing, distribution, and uh, logistics, and the other one is real estate, uh, residential, commercial, and industrial. And still today at 83, I'm still very active. Uh, wake up usually in the morning at 5.30 and get up. I'm always thinking I'm late, always make my bed. And then uh, I probably still work about 60, 70 hours a week. And still all my companies are doing well and uh, still planning to grow further. Thanks for sharing that, and uh, that's that's very impressive. Uh, basically, you went through a lot. Obviously, you know, going through the Second World War, and definitely a tough time. Um, and you didn't do too well in school. You said you failed grade three and grade seven, I think, three times. But you always entrepreneurial as a kid. You sold a bunch of different things. Yeah, and you have a book you wrote later on called Against the Laws, and you, and, uh, you said you found uh, a single plow and a cat. You put it in a carriage. You took it to a shop. You got basically two dollars for it, and the cops came later the next day to your house and asked you about it. And um, certainly, you didn't know that it was not your plow that you couldn't do it. So it was a learning experience. And then at thirteen, you said you weren't doing too well in school, and um, they recommended you go to a furniture factory to become a furniture maker. And you started working with lumber and wood, which you liked. And um, and but your dream was at seventeen you wanted to go to Canada, but your but your parents uh, said no. So you, later on, you got drafted to the Air Force of your of your country, and then years several number of years later, you left with Canada, and uh, with you know with, with its, uh, some money, not a whole lot, and uh, you wanted to you went to Montreal and then through Vancouver, and then you came across a German guy who told you to go to because you wanted to work with wood and lumber. He told you to go to Prince George, uh, Canada, which is about. 500 miles north of Vancouver. And at that time, when you got there, you only had $25.47. But you mentioned, and this was uh, people who who say, well, I don't have money, I can't make it, you know, I can't succeed. You had attitude, um, passion, and work ethic. And I'm sure that's got you along all these decades later on. So even though you didn't have much money in your pocket, because you had those three things, it carried you through everything. And then, you know, you, you do well in the lumber company. Um, you got a job there. You became a superintendent. You left. You went to the Yukon. Uh, it was about 1,000 miles north of Vancouver. And I think you said later on you got a hotel that you ran for several years. And then you sold it. And then you finally got your dream of uh, owning your own sawmill, uh, which happened, I believe, in 1975. It led to the creation of Brink Forest Products, which eventually led to you um, 
uh, developing the brink group of companies. And uh, so it's a whole bunch of companies. So you might talk a little bit about, uh, you know, uh, you know, when you bought that sawmill and how it grew and how we eventually, you know, because obviously you're still very successful at age 83. Uh, you still get up at 530 every morning. You work 60 to 70 hours uh Uh, a week, which tells you you still love what you're doing. So you talk a little bit more about the growth of your companies, like how you were able to have such success from buying that first sawmill to having all these uh, group of companies. Yeah, that uh, sure. Uh, so if I kind of look back, uh, Victor, is that uh, when I first came to Canada, I didn't speak the language. So uh, obviously I had a plan already laid out in my mind that what I wanted to do is own a lumber mill. So that meant I had to go to the region that had opportunities. Uh, at that point, Central British Columbia Uh, you know, was booming and a lot of mills were being developed. And uh, so I thought if I go there, as uh, recommended by the German fellow that uh, kind of helped me along, is that uh, uh, so when I arrived here in Prince George with my $25.47, I had the benefit of my training in education was by doing things, working with my hands. And I had worked around lumber already in Holland. So that gave me a substantial advantage. The other part that I had, I was very good at what I uh, was doing. So I started as a cleanup man for this large lumber mill here. And then the key always becomes, how do you get noticed? by somebody that makes the decision to help you up the line. So that is the biggest step always. And it took me, uh, you know, about six months, eight months to get noticed. And how did I do it is that, again, I worked harder than anybody else. Even if I was piling lumber, I would be on the job half an hour before, lay the strips out, do a better job of doing all the things that I did and and become knowledgeable about the business. Until once I got noticed very quickly, uh, again, opportunities presented itself and uh, I became a superintendent, but that was about a year and a quarter later, but that didn't go quick enough for me. And then another person that had a little sawmill in Watson Lake, Yukon, noticed me and made me an offer they would uh make available to me one third of their sawmill if i would manage their operation and they were not very good at that and uh, so i went down there stayed in a motel uh and uh you know then started managing the mill but then always looking for opportunity i had to somehow make money because i still wanted to buy my own lumber mill and uh so and uh, the, the partnership in the sawmill was not as good as I would have liked to seen it. I had bought the, the, the motel. I sold every, I gave everything away for $1, started over again, went back to Prince George, very quickly again, became another superintendent, then a, a, a senior person in one of the lumber mills here, laid out a business plan, dropped it off at every single bank in town, got, got turned down by pretty much everybody. 
uh, save and accept one bank. Uh, I was looking, I had leased and made a deal to lease a, a small lumber mill that was not being used. And I had my whole plan laid out, what I wanted to do, how I would go about it. And I wanted $25,000 to start my operation. So uh, the, the, the last bank that I talked to, I went back to them over and over again, made changes to my business plan. And then I still can remember like yesterday, the manager was sitting about six little cubicles away from where I was talking to the fellow that uh, was looking at my business plan and I kept making changes to it. And uh, so the last time that I went down there, that was probably the 12th time. So uh, I, I, I was sitting there waiting for this fellow in this fellow's office. And then I heard six or eight cubicles away, the, the man, bank manager said, give him the money, give him the money. So they gave me the money and I was on my way. And that was 50 years ago. Mm -hmm. All right. So, you know, hearing this story, you know, like basically you came here, you, you came to Canada, you didn't have a, you didn't know the language, but you had a plan. And it was, and it's good at that region for the plan. You heard the, Brit the central British Columbia was booming with mills because you, know, you were good, you're working with your hands, you work with lumber, that was your experience. And you, so you were good at what you were doing. And, and you figure out you had to get noticed by the decision makers. And one of the things you realize is that you had to work harder than everyone else. And you became very knowledgeable about the business. And you also figure out you had to make money to buy a sawmill. So basically, uh, and you mentioned how you sold, you know, you went to a motel industry, you sold it for a dollar, you went back to being a superintendent in the mill. And you kept going back and back to, to the bank, you know, for money. And you they constantly turned you down, but you never gave up. You, you changed your plans. You kept uh, adjusting it. And eventually, one day you went there and the bank mentioned the bank because they're like giving the money. So a couple of things I hear here is, number one, you were very focused. You knew what you wanted. You had this plan. You had this great desire and nothing stopped you. A lot of people in your position, um, they will let setbacks stop them, get in the way of their dreams. But you never let that get in the way because you realize this is your dream. This is what you badly wanted. And no matter what you came across, you were going to get that dream. And when dealing with that adversity, how did that change as a person? Does it make you a stronger person that you were able to overcome some of the adversity you went through? I know right from the beginning, when I was five years old, that I would go to the land of my heroes, Canada. So that was a goal that I had. And I knew it was not if, but when, and when could not come quick enough. I tried to go when I was 17. My parents wouldn't let me then, probably a wise idea. Uh, so uh, then uh, I was drafted in the Air Force, did that for about 30 months, and then finally I won when I was 23. In the meantime, all the things that I did at my initial job working for the furniture factory, I was always interested in management. I always looked at management, management, what did they do? I, I would listen to people that, uh, successful business people that gave presentations uh, throughout Holland then. And even then, when I already was working successfully for some other companies, I would go and listen to them because there was something that all of them had in common. And I needed to understand what made them successful. And so, uh, you know, the, uh, and, and that will kind of come to show when 
you would ask me, okay, John, you taught three books. What were the books that you took to Canada? Then I would say the one was in Dutch, because I couldn't speak English, was Management by Drucker was one. So the second one was Logical Thinking uh, was something that interested me. The other one was about Canada. I had the benefit of right from the time that I left school at 13 years old and started working for the furniture factory, I was extremely interested in managing, supervising, making products, developing products. So it became, I was driven in that direction. And then, uh, you know, when I came to Canada, the key then was for me, I kind of felt, uh, Victor, be very honest with you, I, had, I kind of had the feeling that I failed here uh, because uh, I failed grade three and I failed grade seven three times. And, uh, you know, friends, uh, you know, and the young people in particular can be hard on other people that are a little bit different. And uh, so all of a sudden, my friends that wound on from grade seven to college and then to university, I became a laborer. Now, I'm proud of that today, but then it was kind of looked down on, but it served me well because I learned a lot of things that other people did not learn. And no matter what colleges or universities they would go to, I was very focused what I wanted to do and very mindful about the different things that I would do. The other thing that I did not know at the time until actually after I was here already for 32 years in, in Prince George and successful in business, I still kind of felt that I had still failed. Everybody said, oh, you're so successful and blah, blah, blah. I didn't feel that way. Even then, I didn't. Until one thing that happened, I walked into a store here in Prince George, actually, and I picked up a book. And I still don't know why I did that. And the book's title was Driven to Distraction, written by Dr. Halliwell, written in 1993. And I picked it up in was January 1997. And I looked in the book, and it talked about ADHD. And I said, oh, my God, that's me. And that was 32 years after, <laughs> you know, I already was... Uh, 57 years old and uh you know so that opened that for me and i wrote in the book i still have it you know i wrote in the book in dutch now i finally know who i am and so that was the key to kind of the explanation as to why i was not very good at school so the more i got to know about it initially i thought of a stigma and then uh you know about it and then uh, a, a bit of an issue because if I'm building companies, which I already was doing, and then I go to the banks and I, I want to borrow, uh, you know, uh, millions of dollars to build other things, whatever I'm doing, hundreds of thousands or whatever it is, then saying, you know, that as I give them my plan, then I have to say, oh, by the way, I, I should mention this to you. I have a mental disorder called ADHD. Then they would say, have a nice day, right? So... Uh, it's not going to, not today, but then it was not well understood. So the more I found out about it, ADHD, the more it became clearer to me that it is a superpower. And and then uh, 
you know, the the and then the other part about it was that uh, I felt I had to write about it. So the the one book that I wrote, I'm going to show it to you, is uh, titled Against All Odds. And that's an autobiography, not about how successful John is, but rather to the contrary, to all the ups and downs that go with it. And then at the same time, with ADHD, uh, you know, that uh, it was five years later that in 19, <laughs> when I was 57, I found a book and I found out then when I was 62, I went to my doc that delivered our two daughters and was a personal friend because I still was ashamed about it. So one day I went into his office and he said, hey, John, why are you here? I said, I think I got ADHD, <laughs> you know, and so we looked at it together and yes, I do. And then the more I got to know about it, the more I felt that it should not have taken me all these years. And I felt bad about the young people in particular that struggle with this and that it will change their lives and, and put them into directions, unfortunately, that if they just knew but it could do for them, it would have changed that. And so I, I included it in a lot of my presentations that I do, and I wrote a book about it. And the book is uh, ADHD Unlocked, quite successful. And, and the book is, uh, you know, the, uh, the interesting part about the book uh, 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 is that, uh, Victor, is that the Dr. Halliwell that wrote it in 1993, and I picked it up at 1997, January, I podcasted him in the last two weeks, actually, and had a very interesting podcast between him and me. It's On the Brink by John A. Brink. And, uh, you know, so, uh, and so as we talked about it, I always thought initially that about 8% of the population are affected by ADHD. Uh, I believe since that time, I believe, and I mentioned it to Dr. Halliwell, that probably 20% of the population, and he said, no, John, it's probably more than 25%. The other part, and I agree with them, the other part is that the most successful, and the operative here is successful, CEOs or entrepreneurs, I say to him, I believe that at least 50% of them are ADHD. He said to me, no, John, I believe that it is more than 75%. And I agree with them. So, uh, you know, so ADHD played a major role in my life. And, uh, and so a lot of people now say to me, uh, how do you, how come, how do you do all this stuff? You're podcasting. Uh, you know, the, uh, uh, you know, and, and you're writing books and you manage all these companies and you do speaking circuits. And I say, it's ADHD. That's why, you know, and uh, so it has become a fairly major part of my life. The other thing that, uh, you know, since we're talking about books, that is uh, uh, that so many people, I love what I do and so many people don't, you know, they they hate their jobs. And in fact, I heard, uh, I think it was CNN, one of those uh, U.S. programs where they made the comments that 
in the United States, at least 75% of the people that have a job don't like the jobs and, and probably 70, 70% and probably 75% of them are looking for another job. And so, and the same is about here. And a lot of times when I talk to young people and I give a lot of presentations to young people and in school and say, but you, what, what would you like to do for a career? And, and say, well, I'm, most of the time, they were, I don't know. I said, what you should do, my suggestion would be from my experience, is that, you know, check on different jobs that people do. You know, like if you want to be a welder, talk to welders. If you want to be a bus driver, talk to a bus driver. If you want to be a lawyer, talk to a lawyer. They would love to share their experiences with you. If you want to be a dog or a doctor, or or whatever, or for that matter, an entrepreneur, right? So I kind of felt I had to write this book about it. Uh, finding your passion, uh, living the dream. And then a fair question would be, you say, hey, John, are you living the dream? I sure am. Awesome. And, and, and so that's kind of where I am. Awesome. Thanks for sharing that. So basically, um, you know, when you were younger, you know, you say you want to be the land of heroes, not if, but when. So you always focus on that. You're interested in management. You would listen to what they said and what they did. So basically, you found the ad successfully smooth. So you learn from what these people are doing. And um, but you also mentioned you felt like a fair because you had failed in school. And yeah, you were a laborer, which at the time was kind of looked down upon, which is you know, different in these days. But again, you were very focused. Um, you mentioned about during the distraction. You talked about ADHD, which you uh, found out 32 years later, 50 cents, you suffer from. But you also realized it was also a superpower for you. And um, and you talk about it. You, know, you have a, you came on one of the books uh, called Against the Wilds, which instead of talking about your success, it talks about all the different ups and downs you went through, which is what a lot of entrepreneurs go through. But then eventually um, you... You wrote another book called ADHD Unlocked. So I'm sure for those people who want to learn more about ADHD or who have gone through it, I'm sure they can get a lot out of that book. And uh, and and you mentioned that probably more than 25% have ADHD and and maybe up to 75% of CEOs may have ADHD. So it's it's very successful CEOs. Successful CEOs, excuse me. Successful. <laughs> and, and then your final book is called Finding your passion, living the dream. So I'm sure these are all great reads. And one thing you mentioned is you love what you do. And that's something very important in your business. And a lot of people don't like what they do. And as you mentioned, most employees hate what they do. And and when you love what you do, it's uh, you look forward to you know going to work every single day, which is one reason why you have no problems at 83 still getting up at 530 in the morning. So, John, listen, I want to thank you so much for being on the show. It's been a real pleasure I really enjoy listening to your stories, shed a lot of great tips, a lot of great wisdom. And I know the people listening to this show definitely enjoyed all the great things that you shared. And if people want to get in touch with you, what is the best way for them to contact you? JohnAbrink.com. Awesome. And then we are very active on uh, on uh, podcasting, uh, you know, on the brink, uh, you know, and, and uh, you know, be a member of Podmatch as well. Awesome. Thanks again, John. Have yourself a great day. Thanks, Victor. My pleasure. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. If you've enjoyed listening, please smash that subscribe button so you don't miss any of our amazing episodes. 
please also leave a five-star rating review and have an awesome day.